Hello, and welcome to Girlboss Radio. I'm Avery, your new host. A little about me, I'm the founder and CEO of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy on a mission to build better workplaces for everyone. I believe that work should work for all of us, and I'm here to bring you the real and raw conversations with some of the world's most impressive and interesting women and get to the bottom of what success really means to them. Today, I'm speaking with Domi Shi, an Oscar-winning filmmaker and fellow Toronto native. We're talking about living up to parental expectations, puberty, random celebrity run-ins at the Oscars, and more. Let's get into it. Domi, thank you so much for joining me and the community at Girlboss today. We are so excited to learn a little bit more about the career behind the woman who's done so much in her professional journey. I have a lot of my own personal questions because I've been obsessed with the work that you've been doing over the years. But most specifically, at Girlboss, we're all about redefining success on our own terms. And what I wanted to learn from your perspective is what does success mean to you? Yeah, I guess it's so different for everybody. But success for me is just being able to do what I love and getting paid good money for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, get that money uh, 100%. And I'm curious, has your definition of success changed over the years? When I was younger, I equated success with more to do with status maybe also what other people thought of success was, especially like my parents. But I think as we get older, it just becomes a more personal definition. And yeah, I, I mentioned money, but really uh, it's just, if I can just continue drawing and telling stories for the rest of my life, I would be very happy. And, and I feel like that would be a successful life. Absolutely. Totally. And I think being fairly compensated for the work you do is in line with that, right? So I know your parents were supportive of you pursuing the arts for your career. And I know that this is true mainly because you said in an interview that I watched that you did that your father was in the arts for his career. And this is not the typical experience of folks with immigrant parents. I'd love to understand, like, if you were to give advice to someone that feel like their career aspirations aren't in alignment with their parents' expectations for them, how do they navigate making themselves proud as well as their parents? Oh, man. Because even though my dad is an artist, he still wanted me to pursue something more academic. It's because he struggled a lot when we immigrated to Canada. He struggled getting a teaching job because he was an art professor back in China. But when he came here because of the language barrier, because we had to start from scratch, it took a long time for him to establish himself here as an artist. He didn't know anybody. He didn't have any connections. He didn't have a full grasp of the language. We struggled a lot growing up. And it wasn't until in his late 40s that he was able to find moderate to good success as a landscape painter. And now his work is in a couple of galleries but he didn't want me to hustle like he had to hustle like he had to literally go away during Christmas and he'd be selling portraits on the streets of New York City or in the malls and he'd be just hustling so hard because that's the only skill that he knew how to do 
So he didn't want that for me. But, and this goes back to your advice for future potential artists and filmmakers, I was able to convince both of them that like, oh, like animation is a great balance of creativity and also financial security. (laughs) Immigrant parents just don't want you to struggle as much as they had to struggle. And for them, pursuing an academic path is in their heads the only way that you could be financially stable. They don't know that there are other ways to gain that type of success and security. So I was like, look, a Disney animator gets a 401k and in America, they get healthcare and all that stuff. And doing your research and reassuring them that you won't be a poor, starving artist, it will help them get on board with you achieving your goals. Yeah. Sometimes you have to plead your case. It reminds me of May's presentation that she did in Turning Red to her parents to go to see Fortown. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely pulls from my own life. <laughs> I've had to read my case for many instances in my childhood and adolescence to my parents. <laughs> Perfect. So key takeaway here is create a slide. And if you don't necessarily know how to create a slide deck, watch Turning Red if you haven't already and they will guide you. Yes, exactly. So I have to ask because Fortown came up and yes, this is 100% intentional, but who is your Fortown equivalent? And were they the inspiration behind May's ultimate boy band obsession? Actually, I was more into girl groups than boy bands growing up. Like Spice Girls was my thing and I was super obsessed with them. But if there was a boy band that I gravitated towards, it was NSYNC. And Four Town was definitely inspired by all of the boy bands of that era. Yeah, so they were a combination of all of the random A-list, B-list, and C-list boy bands I grew up with. Also, it was the inspiration behind May's journey towards entrepreneurship. So I know that there's a lot of different themes and conversations and really great metaphors. But as a founder and an entrepreneur myself, and also knowing that a lot of people listening in right now are entrepreneurs or pursuing their own side hustle, I couldn't help but notice May's love and grasp of entrepreneurial spirit. And I think that this was probably inspired by her mom to a certain degree, but With the help of her friend, she built quite a successful side hustle (laughs) in hopes of attending this concert. And I know a bunch of us would be curious from the side hustle story, what advice do you think May would give to people starting their own business? She would say, have a clear goal (laughs) and plot out step by step how to achieve that goal. Rope in a crew, a squad of like-minded individuals who are just as excited and driven as you are because you can't do it alone and have fun doing it too because life is a hustle. Life is a journey. And if you're not having fun as you achieve your goal, then it's just not going to be a fulfilling life. Absolutely. I'm curious for you in your career and, and, and you've accomplished quite a lot. And now you've moved into this role as a leader within Pixar. How do you still infuse fun and excitement and energy into the work that you do on a daily basis? I try to do it in many ways. I try to surround myself and hang out with people who give that positive energy because I am like a sponge that absorbs that. So I tend to gravitate towards collaborators who can give off that energy and that vibe. Yeah, and then I try to release all of the stress and crap that builds up mentally for me so that I can start each day with a blank slate. And I try to just 
create that positive. I, I try not to leave things hanging in an awkward air. I try to address any issues just immediately, just trying to foster that sense of like honesty and communication with, with everybody. Yeah, I, I was watching an interview that you did with the Washington Post and you talked about the importance of having people around you that do the same work that you do. So if you don't necessarily see yourself represented within the organization that you're in or the team that you're in, curious about like, how did you go about building that group of people? Was it through meetup groups? Was it through LinkedIn? Was it through Instagram? I think a lot of us are trying to now more than ever being in this more remote, confined, isolated ways ways of working, trying to find our people. Yeah, it's tricky because there's no one answer to that. What helped me find those people was like I was putting stuff out there to catch them, to attract them. For example, my relationship with Rona Liu, our production designer for Turning Red, super talented artist. We had met 11 years ago. Both of us were interns and we started the same summer. She was an intern for art. I was an intern for story. But she recognized my name and she recognized me immediately. And I was like, whoa, how? And then she's like, I follow you on on the internet. I had animated a hamster dancing to a K-pop song as a present for one of my friends for their birthday. And I uploaded it onto YouTube. And it literally only got like 3,000 views. But somehow she found it and that like stuck in her head. And she's like, you're the girl that animated the dancing hamster. And because I put art out there that attracts people to you who like that type of stuff and who want to do the same stuff as you. And so we started working and hanging out together. And then when I came up with the idea for the short film, Bao, she was like the first artist that came on board at the project. Like this was back before it was even greenlit by Pixar. It was just going to be a side project, but both of us were passionate about food and cute stuff and old people and we wanted to work on something together I would say like put yourself out there in some way like put your work out there and then they will come (laughs) in that sense it's so true it's so true and I think that this is a really great reminder to folks that are listening in to put yourself out there right I think that a lot of us are in this space where we feel a lot of shame or guilt or paranoia or self-doubt when we want to put our work out there or in some cases we might feel like we're bragging but the right people will like (laughs) like a dancing hamster to k-pop you said only three thousand people actually came across it and this attracted a really wonderful person to your life who you went on to work with and by the way and i know that a lot of people probably already know this but you won an Oscar for your short bow. And this is obviously a huge accomplishment. I just want to also mention, I've never met anyone that's even been to the Oscars before, let alone won an Oscar. (laughs) So I'm geeking out right now because this is just amazing. It's a huge life accomplishment for me personally, just being in your ether. But data tells us that we repeat what we celebrate. So it's so important specifically for women and people from historically marginalized communities to celebrate those big wins. I'm really curious, how did you feel when you won your first Oscar? And how did you celebrate that accomplishment? Oh, Oh, man, that was like the most surreal day of my life. I'm always the one that is like, hope for the best, expect the worst. It's an honor just to be nominated. I was not expecting to win it all. But then when it happened, it's like my mind kind of just went blank. And then my producer, Becky, just pulled me up and we kind of like 
gripped each other's hands, like in in a death grip as we like walked up on stage. And I felt like it was an out of body experience. And I had practiced a speech beforehand because Pixar PR makes us do that. (laughs) So luckily I did that because then I felt like I was on autopilot and I said something and then they like ushered us into the back. And it's such a big deal. But at the same time, it's not why you go into film. It's not the reason why you want to tell stories or go into animation. But at the same time, it just it felt heavy. So it physically felt like this was a big freaking deal. And then there's this whole like backstage to the Oscars, which is like insane. Like you only see the stage part when you're at home. But then when you go into the back, there's an entire crew of hundreds of people and a director and she's telling everybody what to do, which cameras to point at which people. And it's a whole operation where people are just like ushering you through this backstage gala. Like, oh, first take you to the thank you camera where you can thank everybody that you wanted to thank in your speech, but you couldn't. And then they take you to this booth where you get to make a FaceTime call with your parents and tell them the good news. But my parents couldn't figure out FaceTime. <laughs> it was so frustrating. I was like, come on, I want to show this to you. And they couldn't turn their camera on. So I had to tell them verbally and they were like, yay. And I was like, darn it. And then they usher you into a press room where there's hundreds of reporters that are just in this room and who ask you a bunch of questions and you're up there holding your Oscar. And then you're in the waiting room. The way the award show works, you can't just go back to your seat. You have to wait for a commercial break. So we were waiting in the room and every step people were offering you champagne. So at that point, I was pretty drunk. And it was surreal because we were watching on the screen Lady Gaga performing Shallow, Bradley Cooper. And then the Spider-Verse guys came because they won for Best Feature. We're all just like celebrating, like, yeah, congratulations. Oh, and then, okay, and then I got to wait beside Michelle Yeoh. She's there as a presenter and she was like in her gorgeous Oscar de la Renta dress and I was like, gosh, I'm such a big fan. And she's like, I loved Bao. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> oh my god and that was really surreal and then we got back to our seats and then we just partied all night <laughs> victoria here girl boss the senior writer popping in to tell you about our newsletter girl boss daily even though i'm just a little bit biased it's the one email you'll actually look forward to receiving i work with our team to bring you the latest work trends from the quiet quitting debate to doing therapy on your lunch break with a sprinkle of pop culture and plenty of hot takes. And did I mention there's free coffee every Monday? Sign up by heading to girlboss.com slash newsletter. You're listening to my conversation with Oscar winner Domi Shi, whose film Turning Red became the number one movie on Disney+. Plus. Let's get back into it. Amazing. So you're taken through a celebratory maze. What came up for you the next time you were alone after that moment? When you were on your own, that happens. It all kind of calms down and the stillness comes. It's crazy because the way animation works, as I was promoting about, I was already starting Turning Red. So I immediately flew back and I was back working on Turning Red. But it was at the Vanity Fair after party, after the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. That, I was a whole insane. If I could just go to that, I don't even need to go to the awards. I used to be a fly on the wall there. It was crazy. I remember like I went to the bar and my partner, my colleagues were all partying on the dance floor. And I was holding an Oscar and I was waiting for a drink. And it's so random. 
Cole Sprouse. I don't know if you know him. He was there with the Riverdale cast. And then I think I was pretty buzzed at that point, but I was looking at the statue and I was like having like a moment of like, what is this? What is a statue? Why is it important? Is it important? Who am I? I was like having that kind of introspective moment. Is this it? Is 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 this what we're doing all this for? Is it like, should this mean something more or, or less? And then he's like, just be proud of what you accomplished. And I was like, thanks. Thanks, Cole. <laughs> and then I party the whole night. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes you need that little nudge, right? So you felt proud when you had that kind of moment of solitude along with Cole. Shout out to Cole from Riverdale. Thank you for that. Shout out to Cole. Thank you, Cole. But also I think too, because of my upbringing as a Chinese kid, you're taught by your parents to be humble, be humble, be humble. Like don't be too proud. Pride comes before a fall. So it took actually a while for me to be able to accept compliments just in general, like at work from people without deflecting it and feeling weird about it. And it was just something that I had to like deep program out of me. This was the biggest thing that I had to overcome of like, my upbringing tells me that I shouldn't be proud of this, but I really want to be proud of this and of myself. Ah, so. Yeah, totally. And that has a huge impact in how we show up at work and how we show up and how we celebrate our accomplishments. And I mean, you moved to Canada when you were two from China and growing up in a very Western community, but then having, of course, this Asian influence from your parents. I'm curious how your upbringing in Canada influenced your definition of success. I think my experience is probably pretty similar to a lot of immigrant kids because I Grew up in East York, which is a big immigrant community there. I went to school there. So all my classmates were immigrant kids as well. And I think for us, we all just, it was just built into us. We had to work to make sure that our parents' sacrifices weren't in vain. But I think luckily for me, my parents let me decide how to achieve that. So my parents were always open to me trying out different things, artistic things, but they just wanted me to find a thing. Once I found that thing, they were like, all right, we're putting all our resources into this. You're going to be the best at it. (laughs) So no pressure. But they gave me more choice, I guess, in that sense. And when I look back, I see how valuable that is to have parents who are willing to support you 100% in whatever path you choose to take. But it, it also came with a lot of pressure as well. Like I remember when I told my parents that I wanted to pursue animation, I wanted to apply to Sheridan College. My dad was like, all right, well, we got to work on your portfolio. So we'd go to life drawing classes three times a week after school and we would draw side by side. We'd come home and then he would like make me lay out all of my drawings for that session and do like one by one, like rate each one and be like, this one's weaker, this one's better. And it was like brutal, but I think it helped build that foundation in me and helped me get my portfolio accepted at Sheridan. It's a lot of pressure, but it's a lot of love too. Yeah, that's incredible. And I know that a lot of your lived experiences are represented through your work. And for me, as someone that does a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion work with companies, I work as an advisor in my full-time job beyond the podcast. I definitely relate to this. I'm curious, how has your relationship with friends and family changed 
since you started sharing more about yourself through your work and telling more of your own lived experiences, your own stories. I know family dynamics, the relationship with your mom was really kind of represented both in Bao as well as in Turning Red. Curious if your relationship has changed with them since. Yeah, my relationship with my parents has definitely changed since I've started finding more and more success in my career. I think it's something that a lot of immigrant kids go through, that awkward transition where you're still their kid, but you're your own person. You're an adult and you're trying to talk to your parents on an equal level, but they're still treating you <laughs> like a little kid. But then they are also very proud of your accomplishments too. And they realize that there's nothing that they can. My parents' love language is like nagging and like suggesting things and, and like giving advice. But I guess I'm at this point where they can. It's harder for them to do that. So I feel like just casual conversations on the phone are like a little bit awkward because yeah, everything's kind of fine. And I think that for me, one thing I observed as someone that watched Turning Red and knowing that you directed it, it was almost like a mirror to your own lived experience as a 13-year-old girl and going through this big life change that we'll get to later on. But did your parents feel that, this is my own curiosity, did they feel like there was more empathy for what they were going through being your parent at that time? Yes. My dad was really happy that the dad in Turning Red saves the day. A little nervous, like, oh, how are you depicting the mom? I hope she's not too mean. And I was like, don't worry. We redeem her. We explain and help the audience understand why she is that way. She's also a fictional character too. So I tried to constantly remind her of that so that when we were making the movie, we could push that character, that mom character even more to get what we needed in terms of like entertainment and drama and, and emotion. Yeah, but she did send me a very nice text after she saw the movie. She was like complimenting all of the visuals, the jokes, the details, the aunties. And then at the very end, and she was like, I hope I was a good mom. And I was like, yeah, you were, you were the best. Oh my God. And and she was like, like, oh, I'm crying now. And I was like, oh, I love you, mom. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to be vulnerable to your work. And I don't think a lot of people have that opportunity. But when you do that, I do think that it brings on a nuanced form of feedback from the people closest to you. And I know this from my experience of showing up online a lot and talking a lot about power, privilege and race and social justice. And my mom's white, but I think that being a Black biracial woman and sharing a lot about white privilege and unearthed a lot of conversations and questions that we had never really explored in the past. That's why I was really interested to kind of understand how that impacted your relationship with your parents and what came from it. Yeah, I think it brought us closer. Okay, so I actually have two questions for you. So the symbolism of May turning into a red panda represents the big, hairy, red bodily changes that we all go through when we hit puberty. And we don't actually see a lot of animated films or films in general exploring periods and menstruation. Did turning red open up more space for conversations about menstruation at Pixar? I hope so. I'm looking for that now in every upcoming project. I'm like, there's got to be something in there. <laughs> about girl puberty, about menstruation. <laughs> it's a requirement. I think because such a big studio put so much behind this movie that just shines such a huge light on puberty, hopefully more projects from Pixar or elsewhere aren't going to shy away from it. 
My goal is just to make it so that it's not a big deal. It's as common of a thing of, what did you eat today? We just make it feel as comfortable as talking about the weather. <laughs> yeah, totally. I have my own company and at Bloom, we actually have a period of menstruation policy where we give a budget for folks to spend it towards period of menstruation products. We talk about period and menstruating all the time, very openly, and it's a fact of life. Normalizing it is so important. So I loved the metaphor that was centered around turning red. It's such an important conversation. And especially for young girls and people who menstruate to be able to be a part of that conversation and not feel as much shame and guilt around it. So we have a question from the Girl Boss community. And the question is, what if my parents are my biggest hindrance to achieve my dreams? And this question was specifically for you. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. Wow, that's a big question. The biggest hindrance to me achieving my dreams. I mean, it's huge. It's a heavy one. It is heavy. I guess you'd have to really investigate and try to have a conversation with them and really figure out what is their intention? Is it an ideal parent-child's dynamic is that the parents are doing what they think is best for the kid. Like they're trying to protect the kid. They just want what's best for the kid. And it may seem like it's a hindrance, but I guess trying to open up that dialogue, which is hard, especially for immigrant families, talking and communicating through words is not our strong suit. But nothing's gonna get solved unless you talk about it, I think asking them more questions or starting that conversation that will at least help you understand where they're coming from. And if it is coming from a good place or a bad place, I think trying to get that clarity first. Absolutely. I think that when you understand the intention behind a situation like that, it'll help you to better navigate the barriers that are likely causing that hindrance, right? It's possible that maybe this is more so your assumption versus a truth. And I think that that's like one of the big things. I definitely struggle with this on my own. I'm that kid that wants nothing more than to make my parents proud. And I think we see that represented in the work that you do and figuring out whether it's a truth or not, and then digging into the actual intention. And then in some cases, sharing the impact that it's having on you with your parents that I think would open up for a really meaningful conversation and one that will likely get you closer to achieving your dreams. Cool. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you one question. And the question is, what is a piece of advice that you would give to someone right now who feels like they're super, super far away from what it is that they want to accomplish professionally? I would say try to find friends who are in a similar position as you so you don't feel so alone in your big uphill climb towards your goal because it's so much harder to achieve your goals alone. So just try to find your squad. Totally agree. We go further together than we do apart. Thank you so much, Dolly, for sharing this time with me and sharing all of your experience and being so vulnerable with all of us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Girl Boss Radio. We are so grateful for you. Tune in next week for more inspired, candid conversations. And until next time, keep blooming.